Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast with me again. This time is Brent Adamson. Brent is a principal executive advisor in the sales and marketing practice at CB, co-author of the Challenger Sale and Challenger Customer. Um, he's got more than 20 years of experience as a professional researcher, teacher, and trainer, and he facilitates a wide range of executive level discussions around the world for Fortune 500 and global 1,000 executives in sales, marketing, and customer service, including global sales meetings, keynote presentations, board level presentations, and hands-on best practice workshops. Welcome to the podcast, Brent. Well, Ian, thanks for having me. I always take it as a good sign when I'm invited back. So I guess it's my second shot to screw things up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you got to get it right this time. <laughs> Keep inviting you back to say something. <laughs> so, so touching back on our, on our last interview, we covered a broad range of things. We were talking about the big changes that have been happening in the last few years about how organizations buy um typically high-end services or, or high-end products, the increasing complexity in decision-making, the rise of, of, as you have in your book, the challenger customer, the people to work with to help get decisions made. And one of the things we touched on was the importance of developing um, what you you and the CB call commercial insight. And I, I want to dive into that a bit more because for me, it's an absolute priority for the type of person likely to be listening to this podcast and who tends to get hired by clients because of their expertise and knowledge. So let's start off by clarifying what you mean by commercial insight and how it's different to something that people might commonly know as, as thought leadership. Happy to, Ian. And, and this will take a little bit of time to unpack. So so jump in with follow-on questions and I'll, I'll see if I can sort of take it down layer by layer. The um, So so to start with, sort of the heart and soul of all the, the research that we've done that's led to the, the Challenger books is based on this, uh, this uh, idea approach that the best way that our data tells us to sell and sell effectively in today's B2B world is to be in a position to teach your customers something new, not about your business, your products, your solutions, but to be able to teach your customers something new about their business, mm-hmm. a new way to make money, a new way to save money, mitigate risk, penetrate markets and, and uh, in a way that they hadn't fully appreciated, despite the fact that they are now equipped today better than ever before to go out and learn on their own and do their own due diligence, do their own research. So whether you do that early, which is better, or later in the purchase process, which is tougher, um, it's really challenges all about your ability to help that customer understand some opportunity that they have that they haven't fully appreciated in a way that leads them to say, I got to do something. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to that moment where they say, all right, who can help me do that thing that you've now convinced me I got to do, you should be able to look them in the eye and convincingly say, uh, let me show you how we can help you do that better than anyone else. And so mm-hmm. when you think of that flow, that's the name commercial insight, which I would admit totally upfront, Ian, is not the most elegant or sexy name anyone's <laughs> ever given anything. It's a very practical name, isn't it? Right. But the, but commercial insight is, is, is based on essentially it, it, the idea comes from essentially an objection to this approach, which I think is spot on. And, and, and we hear it all the time, which is this, which is, you know, we, we, we present this idea of teaching your customer not about your business, but about their business, making them smarter, showing them the new ways to make money, save money. And someone often will say, yeah, OK, Brent, let's say that I do that. Let's say that I do exactly what you're talking about. I go out and teach the customer something new about their business that uh, spurs them to action, shows them a new way to think and operate. And they get really excited. And so they take that idea and they put it in their next tender, their next RFP. They put it out to bid and my competitor wins the business. They said, that doesn't feel very good. And it's like, it's, so I taught them exactly what, like you told me to, but I still lost the deal anyway. And, and that doesn't feel right. And, and we'd agree. We'd say that's actually probably bad. I, uh, it, I don't, I don't know if it's worse than nothing, but it's, it doesn't get you very far, certainly. So 
what we have, we, we have a name for this, by the way, we call this free consulting, right? So, <laughs> the, yeah, um, and no one ever grew their business, made a ton of money off of consulting for free. So what we want to do is avoid the free consulting trap. So yes, it is all about challengers, all about teaching your customers something new about their business, but in a way that allows you, or at least increases the chances of you getting paid. So it is insight, yes, but it is insight that you can ultimately, at the end of the day, monetize. That's the idea of commercial insight. And what we found is that that kind of insight, that kind of, or even more broadly speaking, that kind of content, right? Because that's ultimately what this is, whether yeah. it's content you put on your website or, you know, uh, infographics or you put in the hands of your sales teams or whatever, that kind of content that meets the requirements of commercial insight is actually quite specific. It's, it's, it's bounded by a number of parameters, which we'll dig into because, and the last thought, and I'll, I'll just stop for a second, is because what we find is when we talk about commercial insight, particularly with marketers, and I, I mean this with a huge amount of respect, but marketers will often say, oh, Brent, we do that already. And I, then I get all excited. I say, really, you do? Because I want to see more examples that, yeah, we've been investing in thought leadership for the better part of, of two, three years. And we bought marketing automation. We bought all these tools. We've doubled down on infographics or web-based info or you know, white papers or whatever it is, because we also want to prove to our customers that we're a thought leader, because if we're perceived as a thought leader, that's going to um, that's going to demonstrate our credibility. That's going to allow us to win trust in the marketplace. So our customers are more likely to come to us versus somewhere else if they're looking for the very kind of insight that you, you're talking about. And what we've ultimately come to find, Ian, is that while there may be some merit to that, the kind of thing that we're trying, we're talking about with commercial insight and the thing that we're trying to achieve with commercial insight is, is really very different than that kind of content often known as thought leadership. Yeah. I, the, the, and, the, the, the picture I have in my mind often when you talk about um, some of the ways people get thought leadership wrong, I guess you'd say, uh, as opposed to, to what you're calling commercial insight, is that you've got a kind of customer sitting there, standing there, and the, the person with their thought leadership is trying to position themselves as being more and more and more of an expert. So they're kind of climbing up a stepladder and going higher and higher and higher. And every time with each piece of thought leadership saying, look, we know even more and we know even more and we know even more. And look, we're up here now. We're, we're really the experts in it. But the customer at the bottom of the stairs is kind of thinking, well, I don't want to be up there. I don't need to be up there. There's nothing wrong with where I am right now. <laughs> I'm quite or, happy or even with perhaps, where I am. Uh, uh, you know, or, or, you know, or the other thing that they might be thinking is like, wow, so that's great. You're really smart. Uh, yeah. I'm, but you know, it's, full stop, right? It's, uh, but we're not trying to get them to think that we're smart. We're trying to get them to, th you know, to to do something. Ultimately yeah, to buy I need something. to do something. So, they have they have to be. Right. I mean, I used, I used to get this actually. I used to do when I first started off doing consulting, um, and I was working with professional service firms. And one of the things I knew was that one of the best ways of of professional service firms getting more clients is through referrals. So I used to do presentations about referrals, and I would kind of present my knowledge and expertise. And you should do this. You should do that. You should do that. And, and the presentations were always really well received. They got the kind of, yeah, you really do. You really are really smart kind of stuff, but it, they very rarely turned into, into people wanting to hire me. Um, because what I was talking about was kind of, it was stuff they were already doing. It was like a, a really, a much better version of what they were already doing, but it didn't challenge them anyway. You, you to use your, your phrase, it didn't make them think, Oh crap. We're doing completely the wrong thing or, or, you know, Oh, wow. I just, that's completely different to what, what I was expecting and what I, and now I know I need to do something completely different. It didn't spur action. It just spurred a kind of mild. Oh yeah. That was really interesting. That was quite good. We might tweak a few things here and there, but it didn't spur anyone to take action. And I guess your commercial insight is all about driving action. That's right. In fact, therein, therein lies the rub, right? So that, which I find really fascinating is that 
whether you're a marketer measuring click-through and likes and shares or you're a sales rep measuring sort of the reaction of your customer to your sales conversation, one way or another, when you show them thought leadership, oftentimes the reaction is quite positive. Mm. So it feels really good, right? It's like, wow, you guys are smart. Wow, that was really interesting. Wow, that's a really interesting perspective. Wow, that data is really helpful. But but let me sort of back up then and, and give you a sense for how commercial insight is not only how it's different, but why it's different and why it matters. Because it, And we talk about this a lot in Challenger Customer. It's a book, if I, if I may, I, mm. I'm really proud of the Challenger Customer because we really we just we know so much more today than we knew when we first wrote the Challenger Sale based on all of our research and sharing it around the world. And and in chapter three, I believe it is, where we start with a, a single premise that for me personally changed my perspective and why all the research tells us what it does. And it is a simple premise of, you know, irrespective of industry, whether we're selling direct, indirect, whether selling manufacturing, business services, IT solutions, financial services, whatever it is. All of us seen around the world in business-to-business sales, we all sell the same thing. What we all sell is change. What we're ultimately trying to do is to get our customers to change their behavior in some fashion. And now, if that doesn't ring true, I would encourage anyone listening today to think about, well, what are you asking your customers to do in buying your solution, your product? What we're asking them to do is either stop buying from the competition and start buying from us. To stop buying the small amount, start buying this big amount. Stop buying our old stuff and start buying our new technology. Stop doing it yourself and start outsourcing to us. There's always a stop-start aspect, which is always a change. And we're asking our customers to change their behavior. Now, why does that matter? Because left to their own devices, what's the one thing that customers, frankly, would prefer to avoid if they could? It's, in fact, change, right? It's, it's, it's expensive. It's risky. It's unknown. It's all the reasons we know. So you put those two together, and what do you got? Well, the one thing we're all selling is the one thing our customers don't want to be doing, which I think is why B2B selling is so so hard. Mm-hmm. So, so if we if we come from for me, this is like a really fundamental mind shift, that a mindset shift that's really important to to kind of get out of the mindset of we are selling solutions, we are in this we are in the solution selling business, and and get yourself into the mindset of we are into we are in the behavior changing business. And, it's, and when you start thinking about that from that perspective, you can start asking interesting questions around content, for example. Say, what kind of content, what kind of story, what kind of message, what kind of data, what kind of evidence would we need to put in front of our customers to get them not to think that we're great, but to get them to think that they're wrong, right? To get them to change their behavior, to get them to say, not that that's a cool idea, but rather to get them to think, I need to do something different. And those are two very different mm. postures. And so one of the things we did a couple of years ago in our research, and we lay this out in, in the book, is we actually were able to go out and, and you, if you model it right, you put the research together in the right way, and you study customers and go out and survey customers, you can actually ask them about, uh, well, here's what we did. We asked them about a, to think about a purchase that they either recently completed, a complex B2B purchase, the kind of stuff we all sell. And we asked them to think about that a B2B purchase that they were currently in the midst of finishing up or recently finished. And and we had a series of questions that we, we were asking in the survey that allowed us to measure or gauge the degree to which their thinking had changed from beginning to end of that purchase journey. So we we're trying to essentially get a measurement, a metric for essentially purchase disruption, right? Mm-hmm. The, the degree to which their purchase was changed, their thinking was changed uh, uh, across that, that, that process. Now, and by, by thinking elsewhere, changing, Brent, you, you, are you talking here about their thinking about their business and what they should be doing as opposed to correct. just thinking supplier A versus supplier B? You're talking about a fundamental shift in their thinking about about, about their business. Yeah, in fact, so if you think about a purchase process sort of having sort of three, not not a sales process, but a purchase process mm. of having sort of three main stages, which is identification of a problem, identification of a solution, 
an identification of a supplier, so problem solution supplier. It's really those first two phases I'm talking about mm. here. So that we rethought the problem. We thought we had problem A. After thinking about it, we it turns out we had problem B or problem A and B or some other mm. version of that problem. We thought we thought differently about the problem, or uh, we thought differently about the solution. We thought we needed to solve it like this. Turns out we needed to solve it like that. So what we're not talking about in this survey was. Um, I used to think supplier A was great. Now I think supplier B is great. Or I used to think supplier A stinks. Now I think supplier A is awesome. It wasn't that. It was more about for you and your organization, to your point, Ian, what are you trying to do and why are you trying to do it? It's more those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. To what degree was that change, uh, that thinking disrupted? Now, elsewhere in the survey, what we also did is we collected, um, we collected, uh, uh, um, customers, uh, reactions and impressions of the content, the information that they were consuming as part of that purchase process. So to the degree to which that content represented uh, was easy to find, the degree to which that content was easy to navigate, the degree to which that content represented a smart perspective. So there's a whole bunch of different content attributes. We asked them all about the content they were they were consuming as part of that purchase uh, and asked them sort of degree on like a scale of one to seven. How much did this content, was it, how, how easy was it fine from not easy to very easy, right? So now I've got a whole bunch of sort of customer assessments of different cut, uh, uh, content attributes and I've got a degree to which their thinking has changed. I run that all through a research, a, a statistical analytical model. And what I can determine out of that is with a high level of statistical significance, to what degree do different content attributes have a statistically significant and material impact on changing a customer's direction across that purchase process? And the punchline to all this was simply there's a whole bunch of stuff that showed up as statistically not significant. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds here. I, I, hopefully none of your listeners are No, that's are okay. <laughs> Here's the punchline. It's actually, so let me get right to the punchline. What was interesting is um, representing a smart perspective or a new perspective. So a content that represented a smart and new perspective turned out to have absolutely no statistically significant or material impact on changing what a customer was going to do anyway. In other words, when, when customers look at your content, like, wow, that's really smart or wow, that's a new approach or wow, those guys over at Acme Company, they really know what they're talking about. While that may be true that they think that, that we could find no, uh, no, uh, no indication anywhere in the data that that had any material impact on changing what they were going to do anyway. So it's like, wow, those guys are really smart. Okay, let's keep back. Let's keep doing what we were doing. On the flip side, we did find two things that did have a statistically and material, uh, statistically significant material impact on changing customers' direction. And that was, it was two things. Number one was teaching the customer something new about their business. So not about the world, not about new technology, not about cloud computing, big data, whatever, all the things we all talk about in our content. It was very specifically customers saying that that content taught me something new about my business. And then second was that content gave me a reason to take action. And it was those two attributes, really, it's those two attributes, Ian, that we think are sort of the core elements uh, of of commercial insight, right? It's it's insight that teaches you something not about the world, but specifically teaches the customer something about their specific operations and then gives them a reason to change because ultimately that's what we're selling. It's like, I don't just need a, a sense of why your stuff is great or why the world is different. I need to give, you need to give me a reason to, uh, for why I should do something differently. And the only way to do that effectively is to talk to me about my company. So, so the, the sort of, I like to talk in what we call bumper stickers, in the, at least here at CEB, which is the short phrase that captures the big idea. So the bumper sticker phrase here for commercial insight versus thought leadership is simply thought leadership, as we like to think about it, Thought leadership is content designed to teach your customers that you are smart. Mm-hmm. Commercial insight is content designed to teach your customers that they're wrong. 
just mm. don't ever say it like that. As like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it does, it does bring to mind because a lot of the people listening or from a consulting or coaching or other background in their own field, many of them are experts at change management. They know absolutely what it takes to get a client to change when they're already working with them. Um, and getting them to adopt, you know, they've worked with them on a new solution to a business problem they've had, and they work through the whole change management process. Yet, when it comes to selling, that in a way that goes out of the window. I mean, they know from a change management perspective, for example, that people don't change unless they have a burning platform, unless there's That's something exactly really right. bad about what, what's happening now to mo- motivate them to want to move to something else. It's not the only thing. You need kind of direction and for sure. practical first steps, all that kind of stuff from basic change management. But then we're often when we come to, to selling, we forget that. And we, we start talking about the massive vision for the future and what, how, where the industry's going without establishing that burning platform, for example. So it's, it's, it, it, what you're talking about here is both probably a light bulb moment for a lot of people. Certainly was for me when I, when I first looked at it through your book. Yet at the same time, it also rang very true because it reminded me of what I already knew from a different, a different area from, from managing change within clients. You know, I think there, there's so much truth to that. There, there, to, to be totally fair to um, our research and I suppose to the world, as it were, right? The, you know, the people tell us all the time, I don't know if there's really anything new in this challenger story. It seems like my best people have been doing this for years, or maybe I've been doing this for years. And, and what we always say very openly is, look, we, we know that the, your best people are doing this already because it wouldn't have shown up in the data unless yeah, it was that's already right. happening. That's, that's exa- <laughs> so what we've done here is is effectively capture something that has been potentially going on for years, decades even, and, and put a name to it, a story to it. Because the whole idea of what we're trying to do at CEB is not to just put our finger on what works, but to find a way to capture it in a way that's exportable, as we like to say, so we can mm. bottle it and export it to the rest of the sales force out there and, and get scale out of these kinds of approaches. And, but I think you're right. The, 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 the thing that, but this, that's picking up on one point. The second point you mentioned, I think is really fascinating because I see this a lot too, which is, you know, when you put this out there as a set of principles, people will buy into it and say, I totally agree. And then when you look at what they're actually doing, you find the exact opposite. Mm. This is a difference. So there's a uh, there's a difference in belief and a difference in behavior. And in many cases, what we're finding is that there's a difference in behavior here. And oftentimes you get what I call the false positive problem. The, again, the marketer says, oh, we do that already. We've doubled down on content. You look at what they're doing. It's like, that's not commercial insight. Mm. Um, because some of the differences that we're talking about here, frankly, are a little bit subtle. They're, uh, but they're really, really important. As one head of sales I talked to recently um, in, in Liverpool, of all places, he's, he looked at his team and he said, you know what? He says, we got to stop selling the solution and start selling the problem. And in some ways, that was very profound. And in some ways, you could say that's selling 101. But nonetheless, we all fall into that trap of, you know, it's like if I'm going to sell my solution, I need my customers to understand my solution. So I better talk about my solution. And, and to the degree that you're not well branded or your solution is new or it's a disruptive technology, the tendency is that much stronger. It's like, well, they don't know my brand. I really got to tell them about who we are. They don't know this new technology. I really got to explain it to them. So we spend all of our time talking about the, the new approach, the new solution, the new the new idea. And your customers, and what's interesting, I think, Ian, is if you do that, you do that well, your customers will be all excited and they'll look at you and say, wow, I didn't know your brand was that big. I didn't know you had all those capabilities. I didn't know about that new technology. And they'll, really get, they'll get really excited. And then you get excited because they're excited. Everybody's excited. But at the end of the day, then it's exactly like the presentations that you were making that you mentioned. It's like, wow, Ian, you know a lot of stuff. You're really smart. But for now, I think we're we're okay with what we're doing. But yeah. why don't you call exactly. me in six months and we can talk about it then? And and you and so, and what happens then is we didn't fail to sell them on the solution. We failed to sell them on the fact that they even have a problem worthy of that solution in the Absolutely. first place. Absolutely. Hey, Brent, I'm going to 
I've got a whole bunch of questions about some of the things you talked about there, but the first one I'm going to ask is yeah. about coming up with commercial insight in the first place, because um, as you said, that out of all the things you could be talking about and putting in your content and all the knowledge you have, um, you, you've already said that commercial insight needs to focus on the customer's problems. You need to you know, train them, show them something, show them they're wrong in a way and show them there's something different they need to be doing. How do you do that in a way that where where you you overcome that free consulting problem and uh, that that you you focus it on things that then they're going to want you to help them with? So what's your, what's your process for for developing commercial insight? Okay, that's great. I'm glad you brought us back to that, Ian, because that's the other half of the the commercial. That's the commercial of commercial insight. Let's pick <laughs> up that thread, right? So so again, let's see if we can get ourselves uh, get ourselves paid. So that the idea is right in teaching customers something about their business and getting them excited to change their behavior. Um, and making it compelling, they'll ideally look at you and say, either figuratively or literally, uh, either, uh, and, and they'll say, wow, who can help me with this? And again, you have to be in a position to be able to say, let me show you how we can help you with that better than anyone else. In other words, whatever insight you teach customers about their business has to lead back to something that you can do better than anyone else, has to lead back to a set of your unique strengths. So step one in building commercial insight, as much as that commercial insight truly is about the customer and their business, step one in building that insight is to first sit down and ask yourself a very hard question, which is, what are our unique strengths? What is it that we do differently and better than anyone else in the world that would allow us to build a commercial insight that leads back to that set of unique strengths? And and I will tell you honestly and somewhat uh, uh, humbling, uh, this is very humbling sort of that's why I love doing research, Ian, is that you find things that seem to make, make sense and, and the data tells you right. And then you go out and share it with the world and you learn like you learn a lot. And what I learned about this particular concept is while it seems very logical and it is, I think, pretty straightforward, it turns out, practically speaking, it's incredibly hard to do. But it nonetheless is crucially important right? to, to sit down because what I'm asking you is not what are you what is your company good at? Right. If I were to ask anyone on the on the call today or listening in today, like, what is your company good at? Hopefully that, you know, it's like, here's a piece of paper. Here's 10 minutes. Write down all the things your company uh, is good at. Hopefully that would be a relatively straightforward exercise. But then if I asked a follow on question, ask right now, of those things your company is good at, what are those things that you guys, your company is uniquely good at? What happens in that one simple shift, you go from an easy question to a very hard question because, and this, again, Somewhat, it's been an eye-opening experience for experience for me over the last couple of years to work with some of the biggest, best-known brands in the world and watch them struggle to answer that question. Right? Do you, excuse you. I, just to take uh, just a, more of a hypothetical example, but one that I think would speak to everyone. You take a company like FedEx, right? The global provider of mm-hmm. logistical solutions, right? Uh, FedEx. If you were to ask them, what are you good at? We got stores, we got trucks, we got planes, we got overnight. I mean, the list of things they're great at, world class at, is very long. But then if you ask all right, FedEx, what are the things you're uniquely great at? Well, FedEx, remember, competes with UPS, who's got planes and trains and stores and overnight and everything else, right? So when you put solutions providers side by side today, what you find is because of competitive forces, they've all grown closer and closer together, making it not so. So again, they're all really world class and doing amazing things. But how many of them are truly unique? And then just to make it harder, Ian, because I guess I'm that guy, right? It's not (laughs) just what are you uniquely good at, but what are you sustainably uniquely good at. I'll tell you, you get into the financial services industry, for example, and that question becomes terrifying because much of what they can do uniquely uh, uh, uniquely great can be copied literally in a matter of days, if not yeah. hours. It's ve- so very, it's, uh, very similar in the kind of service businesses that people are listening in. If you're a consultant, 
then you know what you do is just an intangible just an intangible process you so it, it it's not you don't need to buy machinery to do it you don't need to have any assets right. to do it you just watch what someone does now of course you can't you you could you argue you can't really because you don't have their decades of knowledge and etc cetera, etc cetera. but you can certainly claim to a customer you can do it so often it's very difficult um, for people in our sorts of businesses to be able to say they do something different. Well, what are you good at? Well, anyone can, you know, I help you get X, Y, and Z. Well, everyone can say that. Well, I'm really good at, you know, um, I work with you closely, ha- ha- you know, hand in hand, and um, I really help get results and I implement things. Don't just talk about them. Well, yeah, well, everybody says that or everybody can say that. It's very, That's very right. difficult to pull out what you are good at. I suppose part of the good news is that what I found is that the question about commercial insight and identifying um, something that is a you, you know that, that, that will will then change your customer's perspective and they're doing wrong. If you can have a methodology for delivering that, very often your commercial insight is your differentiator as a consultant, for example, or a coach. Because if you're the only person who spotted that problem that they've got. Then, then it does increase the likelihood they're going to work with you. So I, I would say for, for people listening here, the identification of commercial insight and then creating a, a process for delivering it very, very tied closely together. So in some ways it's, it's more difficult for us to differentiate, but it's also easier to, to tie back, um, to our capabilities because we don't, I mean, I can, I can imagine a company like FedEx might, might, might be in the position where they could identify something that would be, you know, that is, really challenging for their customers would get them to change what they're doing, but they can't deliver it because they haven't got the assets. Um, right. Whereas for my guys, we, we can, we probably can deliver it. We need to find a way of delivering it and being better at delivering it than someone else. But we have more flexibility to, to, to tie our and to adjust what we do to tie in with the, 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 the insight side of it as well. I don't know if that made any sense, but because we're yeah, so, it's such intangible fact- businesses, it's a, it's a really interesting place to be. And just to expand on that, I mean, to think about if you really sound thinking about this in a very sort of brass tacks uh, sort of way, right? Uh, the uh, com- we know that commercial insight is valuable because effectively there's a multi-billion-dollar industry built specifically around the value of providing your customers insights about their own organization. It's the consulting industry. Yeah. I mean, right? at the end of the day, that's what consulting does. They they actually have monetized the provision of insight itself. Because mm. most most uh, 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 consulting agencies don't do a lot of back end implementation. They don't have a product to sell on the back end. What I what I often tell companies, you know, the, the FedEx is just again to pick an example almost arbitrarily out of the world is like, look, you're providing effectively that insight in order to sell a product on the back end. If you're consulting, mm. it's the actual insight itself. Yeah, that absolutely, you're absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it raises a re- it's, it, again flavors and layers to this stuff and hybrid versions of commercial insight and challenger. I just find infinitely fascinating. <laughs> So just going back to what you're saying before, you're saying you start off with um, what are we actually good at and what are we uniquely good at and what are we sustainably uniquely good at? And that gives yeah. you a kind of and, – and are you then moving on to trying to match that with the insight side so so and kind of find the one or two things that, that cover both areas? Yeah, so so there is – so so there is – um. I, I in the book, I, I, it's been a while. Let's see. I, I'm pretty sure we laid this out in the book. <laughs> you do. You I've do. done so many versions of this. Uh, somewhere in chapter, I think it's three, we lay out sort of a, 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 a the reason I, I'm hesitating. Yeah, you've got some, you've got some circles in there, haven't you, where, where you, you show yeah, the there's process. There's probably yeah. some bar charts or something. I don't know. But the uh, – <laughs> Uh, there's different versions of this exercise. Sometimes it's four questions. Sometimes it's five. I think it recently did a six. But there's uh, at, at its heart a, f- a very simple sort of four question exercise I like to ask, which is which gets you sort of how this whole thing works. So number question number one is 
uh, what are our unique strengths? So based on where we just stopped, right? So what you, again, unique, uh, sustainable strengths. What are the things that truly set us apart? Now, where you might go next is to ask yourself, of those unique strengths, the things that truly set us apart in whatever fashion, of those unique strengths, which are the ones that are currently underappreciated by our customers? So of the things that we do great, which ones do, th- do our customers undervalue? Are they they might see it, but they might see it as a nice to have versus a need to have. We, we fail to monetize it. We still get commoditized or we still compete on price despite the fact that we're truly better at that thing. Uh, and what's interesting about that question, Ian, is it's the exact opposite yeah. of the question most people would ask. Most people say, what am I great at and what do my customers want? Let's marry the two together and let me go talk about that. This is a different story, which is of those things that I'm great at or uniquely great at, which are the things that my customers fail to fully appreciate in so f- uh, 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 leading to my inability to monetize them? Now, that leads to question three, which is, what is it? Now, here's where I got you. I need you to take your supplier hat off, put your customer hat on. Let's go into the customer world and ask this question. Number three, what is it the customer fails to understand about their business that leads them to undervalue that capability? So what are they missing about how they operate, how they – so that it's clearly you've, you've got this unique capability. They don't see it as really all that important. They see it as maybe nice to have if they recognize it all. And you're thinking like, oh, that drives me crazy. I don't get paid for this thing. If my customer just understood X, Y, and Z about their business, they know why that's so important. All right, so what's that? What is that thing? What's That's question number three. And then question number four is, what would I have to teach them about their business? I'm going to underline, italicize, and put little arrows around there. What is it you'd have to teach the customer about their business that would lead them to value and appreciate that capability more than they do now? So, so in other words, to your point about marrying up, right, it's, it's like, what are my unique strengths? And effectively, what would I have to teach the customer about their business to lead them to value those strengths more than they do now? That's, I guess, the simplest way to put it. Mm. And in some ways, it comes out, I'm, I'm picturing my mind now, a guy I used to, you know, consultant I used to work with a long time ago. Um, and he was, in the very early days, an SAP implementation consultant. And uh, he, he used to kind of travel around and he used to get really, really frustrated because he'd be talking about something with a customer. And they'd be going, yeah, yeah, and mentioning some things and really uh, kind of underplaying it. And he'd be, no, there's dynamite. There's dynamite there. You don't realize that's a, you re, and in, in some ways he was frustrated because it was not leading to them buying because they didn't see the value of it. But what he, what I guess he was missing was that was tremendous opportunity. Um, if he could teach them the thing about their business that allowed them to see that they needed it. And I think, see, that the word you just picked, I think, is so perfect for this because exactly what happens is it's frustrating. And I, it's like you can feel it viscerally, right? Because hmm. because you, you, you go out and you, you make your pitch and you talk about your solution, the new technology or whatever, and your customer says, wow, either the, either they, they don't see it as important, which is once frustrating. It's like, no, you don't understand. So you know what you do then when they, when they don't seem to get it is you double down, right? You say, let me tell you even more about this new technology. Hmm. Let me tell you even more about how great we are. And they still won't get it or – even worse and even more frustrating is they will get it. They will acknowledge it. They'll look you right in the eye and tell you that it's awesome, tell you that you're better, and they still won't buy it. And that's just maddening because we're all trained to do the same thing, which is convey to our customers how different we are, how better we are to, 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 to uh, articulate our value proposition. But what do you do in a world when you do that? Do it extremely well, exactly like you were trained, and it works. Your customer looks you in the eye and says, I agree, you are better. And they still don't buy. I mean, that's maddening. But that's exactly what's going on. This underlying dynamic of you got to break down their current thinking before you build up to, uh, alternative thinking is exactly, I think, at the heart and soul of why that happens. Mm. It's a bit like you were saying on the on the last podcast. It's like uh, you know the guy you, you uh, overwhelmingly agreeing that a Ferrari is indeed better than your current car. 
And yes, absolutely, it's wonderful and how fantastic it is and sleek and goes so fast, but you just don't need one. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's like, yeah, Ferrari is better. Still not going to buy one, but boy, <laughs> is that a neat car, right? <laughs> So, so the coming up with commercial insight is all about this really tricky process of figuring out what you're uniquely good at and figuring out what that problem is that that big change in your in your customer organization that you need to educate them about before they see it. So, what do they not see that you can educate them in seeing? And then the the light bulb happens, um, that wonderful moment when we get it ourselves, but even better when our customers get it, where they see, oh my god, I had not realized. Oh, we absolutely do need this. this. Is what this is our number one priority, and that's what then drives the commercial side, the the, the kind of sales side. Um, so I just want to move on now. The yeah, we we talked a lot about in a way we one of the things you said I think was really important and and a real challenge I think because you said it you're teaching the customer something about their business, not about the industry in general. So this you know commercial insight is not about. Um, you know, how technology trends are changing in their industry and everybody else is doing this, et cetera, et cetera. It's about yeah. their business. So now I think everyone listening in can see if you're having a conversation with a customer, you can ask them questions about their business. You can begin to uncover some of those issues and problems that they maybe haven't noticed, they don't see. But how do you do that earlier on? How you, how do you do that when you're marketing? For example, if you're, you know, you're trying to publish an article, for example, and you don't know much about the individual customer's business. I mean, do you, do you try and kind of extrapolate from some of the best customers you've worked with before what typically they've, they've missed? So, so that's a great question. The, the, I've got a couple ideas there. So practical ones. So one is exactly where you just landed is, um, uh, is, is to pay attention very closely to what we call your lead steer customers. That's a great American term, right? Imagine a, a herd of cattle stampeding across the Midwestern plains, and there's always that steer out in front. And when he changes, I guess technically it's it changes direction to the left, the entire herd goes to the left as well. That's the lead steer. And what you find is, um, so the companies kind of work like that. There's one or two very progressive companies out there, and when they shift direction, everyone goes with them. And so that's one thing you can do is you can look for what are the most progressive customer organizations, what are the most progressive organizations, uh, companies out there doing that we that we tend to serve? What are they doing differently that we could capture and without sharing proprietary information mm. or giving away divulging things we shouldn't divulge? How can we use that as an example of what others could be doing? And again, it's not how they're using you, but how they're thinking differently about their business. Yeah, it's, so it's what, what kind of what, almost what epiphany have they had where they've yeah. suddenly realized, oh, my God. And then they've done some, made some changes as a result. How can you get the same, your, the, the people you're targeting, the rest of the market, um, to have the same, the same insight? Yeah. Now the key there is, Ian, uh, not to state the obvious, because it turns out practically speaking, it isn't, uh, because you're asking about marketing specifically, is that in order to find those things, you actually have to go out and listen slash talk to your customers, right? You have to actually interact with them, whether mm. yes, through surveys, ideally through conversations. And, yeah. and the reason why it seems, it seems obvious, doesn't it? But the reason why I say that so emphatically is because it's, in fact, this happens about once every three weeks and it literally happened yesterday. And that's why it's top of mind for me is I'll be talking to chief marketing officers. Uh, uh, it was actually today's Friday. I think it happened on Wednesday, right? So on Wednesday, I was with a group and I was talking to one of the, uh, their, their marketing team. And they said, yeah, we don't talk to our customers. I said, why don't you talk to your customers? They said, well, sales won't let us. <laughs> and, and, and it's, and, and, you know, as, as much as it seems like, are you insane? As what I've come to appreciate, that's a real practical challenge for a lot of organizations out there is that marketing is blocked from talking to the customers. The first thing I would tell you is you've got to fix that, right? That's a, 
that's a cultural challenge you've got to overcome in your organization, whether it's piggybacking on sales calls or, or asking, you know, handing questions to sales and asking them to ask them, whatever it is, somewhere or another, you've got to have closer contact to your customers. So that's point one. There's a different way to do this, so I think is really cool. And I love this idea. We've seen the, some really nice examples of this is what if, Ian, we were to set up a means by which we don't just discover that insight, but we co-create it with our customer in the moment. And then what I mean by that sounds fancy, doesn't it? But the, <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, diagnostics or quizzes or or different cost calculators. So imagine, uh, so every good insight probably is going to start with a hypothesis. We think you're exposed to this cost. We're, we think you're exposed to this risk. You can then test it with a couple companies, ideally in person, say, is that right? Is this, you see this happening? And then, then you can begin to size it, right? And say, well, how big is this risk? How big is this cost, this hidden opportunity? Um, and then out of that, you can actually build a framework and put it out there through your content channels, whether it's web-based or di- uh, uh, through subject matter experts mm. or through discussion groups, but you can actually create an interactive calculator where you let your customers or potential customers take your framework around a cost that they hadn't really thought about it. And if you put the right language and, you know, uh, that urgency around it, they'll say, take the cost calculator, find out what kind of ex- risk you're exposed to. It's like, oh, this is interesting. It just takes 20 seconds, make it easy. Right? It just takes a few minutes of my time. I don't have to go get a whole bunch of data. They fill it in. Uh, and, 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 and then it shoots out a cost at the bottom, and at which point they say, holy mackerel, I had no idea I was exposed to that kind of risk. And then, of course, there you got a little button that says, interested in finding out more, click here, right? And, and you, you can track the fact that the, that calculator runs on your website. You can track their activity. You can go see where they came from, how where they go next, all the kind of cool stuff you can do in a digital world. All of this is completely independent of sales. And so there's yeah. huge opportunities for marketing not only to learn but to teach through content because then if you know it's like if you landed in a calculator hey you've got this problem click here for help on that if you land on this problem click here for more help on that if you land on both then what, you, what really cool companies will do is say now that you've identified problems you didn't even know you had and you're thinking about maybe doing something uh, click here for an rfp builder to help you build the rfp you would need to go out and actually talk to cust- uh, suppliers to to get their input on, on on helping you with this kind of idea and of course that rfp builder tool is completely skewed towards your capabilities so in a way what you, you're taking a lot of the flexibility and the, the 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 diagnostic stuff you would do in sales, but you're pulling it back into marketing. You, Absolutely, there's no reason why in a, in a world where your customers so much more want to self serve on learning mm. and research, and we, of course we all know this, and we know this from our own data, that 57 percent number that we talk about all the time. Uh, the, the customers are delaying interactions with individual sales reps because they can, right? They they can mm. do a lot of that due diligence, a lot of that research on their own. So why don't we help them? Why don't we provide them a framework? Why don't we give them the kinds of questions they should be asking through our content and then guide them along that learning journey, not through our sales reps, although you can do that too, of course, uh, but through our content. There's no reason why you couldn't do that as a marketer as well. And by di- by doing it through diagnostic, you're not, you're not, the research isn't just, here's our prescription for what we think the majority of people need. And then in which case they may, if they haven't had the insight themselves yet, because I guess that's one of the challenges. If you're not there, uh, you know, talking to them, then you kind of, in theory, can't guarantee they'll get the insight that makes them interested in that particular area. But if you're using a diagnostic process as, as part of your marketing, then you're asking them the questions that'll help them discover, whoa, this is bigger than I thought, or, oh, I had no idea that this could be done differently, or I'm doing, or I'm doing it wrongly. And then you're steering them to the right content. So it's more valuable for them as well. Rather Correct. than you, rather than you, them, them having to figure out what, what they need and going to your website to get it, you're helping them figure out what it is they actually need in the first place and what's going to And be you're making it easier for them to buy. And think about the quality of the leads that you would pass over to sales that come out of this system versus something else, right? So they, you know that they're asking the right questions. You know they're digging in the right problem. They're all framed in the right way. So when they come to sales, that's a much higher qualified lead 
then something else that you might pass them like, hey, they were on our website. You should give them a call. Yeah. Um, this is far beyond that in terms of quality. So everybody wins, including, to your point, including the customer who learned something they didn't know and and uh, have been able to quantify or size a problem that they didn't know they had. It's a it, it's it's again, it's a it's, it's cliche, but it's sort of a win, win, win. Okay, so the two big approaches. One is obviously talk to leading customers, um, figure out what they went through, and then use that as a, as a guide to the sort of content you should have in marketing. Um, and then, of course, the diagnostic approach, which actually uncovers with the customer as they're going through the marketing process. So you don't have to work on averages. You can get the right thing for, for each individual. I'm going to move on. Two, oh. two more, real quick. You know, so uh-huh. real quick so two more very practical ones. Talk to your sales reps. Your best sales reps know what your customers are doing and thinking. So that's one. And second one is if you've got a customer advisory panel or some sort of customer panel that meets even irregularly, um, use that. So those are two more quick hits. And, of course, if you haven't got a customer advisory panel, time, Build one. time you had one. Time you had yes. one. Excellent. Um, last quick question. Um when you've got your commercial insight, we've talked there about, about, and you, you said, you said it very nicely. You said, um, you know what, you've got to find something that, um, to, to, to show the customer that they're wrong, but you wouldn't say it like that. Um, right. and I think that's, that's, that's a really interesting, uh, dilemma you, you probably have because the way that, um, customers are going to be more inclined to buy from you is if you do show them that they're wrong, but, humans being humans nobody likes being shown <laughs> that they're wrong um i've been be looking at uh, i think probably over the last six months um researching the field of politics about political beliefs and how when someone has incorrect beliefs because they've had incorrect data or or, or whatever if typically if you feed them the fa- the facts about what's true they tend to reject the facts and worse than that it tends to reinforce their belief in their own incorrect opinion because you've kind of challenged them directly so what kind of methods have you found for for um, challenging a customer and, and showing them that they're wrong in a way that doesn't result in them just dismissing you or, or, or you know, do, taking the easy route of working with someone or talking to someone who will say all the nice things about how they're doing everything right um, and then they never buy anything. You know, the um, you struck a chord with politics. It's always a tricky topic, um, they, particularly in the world of alternative facts that we live mm. in today, right? So the uh, – <laughs> um, the, the word that always comes to my mind, and I'll tell you, this word is actually in the Challenger customer book, and it shows up once, and I put it in the acknowledgments in the very back of the book because uh, it's hidden in plain view, um, and it's the word empathy. The word empathy to me captures such an important concept that is so important to you. Again, if you're going to tell someone that they're wrong, uh, what, what's going to happen is you're going to create resistance. You know, the first reaction when someone tells you they're wrong, you're wrong, is of course to say, no, I'm not, right? So, so that's the exact opposite posture of the one that we ultimately want to create. So being able to deliver commercial insight professionally, first of all, that's table stakes. Culturally correctly, table stakes with empathy, table stakes. You have to be able to put yourself in the customer's shoes and help them understand their business from their perspective in a way that that doesn't effectively, you know, I often somewhat, I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but I actually quite mean it seriously. I often tell people the best way to tell someone that they're wrong is to first tell them that they're right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean that sincerely. And I don't mean that sort of like a Jedi mind trick, right? Because usually customers 
are right. And, and always respect the fact that your customers are smart. They're talented, hardworking people who are truly trying to do the best for their business. And the fact that they may have, may have looked, overlooked an opportunity or may have overlooked a cost, we have to be careful to not, to not convey that that means they're incompetent or that they don't mm. care or that they're lazy because it usually is the exact opposite is true that they're working their tails off. They're incredibly smart. They're very talented. And so I often find that when you convey an insight as very much like I do with our challenger work, I always convey it with a sense of surprise. So you'll often hear me say things, and I mean this sincerely when I say it, is that we were surprised to find that there were five profiles. We were surprised to find, and, and we were, right? And I think that's, that, so notice how we just moved out of the technical world of sales and marketing, content design, and but we're now into sort of the liberal arts, sort of, you know, the <laughs> humanities of, of narrative construction, right? And, 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 and elocution and, and how you talk and how you construct ideas and words because all that stuff really matters. Cause to your point, at the end of the day, we're all just people, right? Mm-hmm. We're all just trying to get along. And so I think you have to think about the presentation, the sharing, the co-creation of commercial insight as a collaborative effort with your customer as opposed to a delivery, right? The, I'll never forget there's a global head of sales training, a company everyone on the call today would know, and they'd, they've been working on Challenger for four or five years. And, and one of the reasons why they moved towards this commercial insight posture is uh, as their head of sales training told us, she said all our salespeople were showing up and throwing up with product, right? This, sorry for the vernacular, but that's we all know the phrase, right? So they'd show up and throw up. They'd they do the product dump, the features dump. And so that's why we built Commercial Insight. And I asked her, I said, well, how's that going? She said, well, I got a problem. Her name's Joanne. I said, well, Joanne, what's the problem? Joanne said, well, Brent, we built the Commercial Insights, really well designed. We put it in the hands of our sales reps. And now instead of showing up and throwing up with uh, with product, now they're showing up and throwing up with insight. <laughs> um, and and I, again, I, I think that gets to this. It was painful, right? It's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. But it really gets to this point of, you have to think very carefully about how you deliver these stories in a way that makes sure that people are open to them, right? So, so one of the things I tell people about Challenger all the time, for example, is like, you know, when I tell you that Challenger wins, uh, I don't actually tell you that. I don't put it like that. So, because I'm not here to say that you're selling wrong and I've done research and I'm going to show you how to sell right. Usually what we do is we couch the story in terms of changing customer buying behavior and say, look, you've been selling right. You've got demonstrated track record of selling right. You've got all the trophies and the presence clubs trips to prove that you're selling right. I'm not going to tell you you're selling wrong because you are selling right. What I will show you is what we are finding is that customers are buying differently. Mm. So let me show you what happens when we take the old world of selling and run it into the world, run it right into the teeth of the new world of buying, and things start to come under pressure and they start to fall apart in some really surprising ways. That's an example of how you would you would deliver a commercial insight yeah. in a way that effectively tells someone that they're right before diplomatically, empathetically, professionally, culturally correctly telling them that they're yeah. They're you're kind right. of letting them off the hook a bit, kind of saying it's not their, you know, it's not your fault that you're wrong, so you shouldn't feel like you're an idiot. But the, exactly. world, the world has changed. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, it's, it's, just get this stuff. Well, it's, it. it's funny because actually, as it turns out, the research into into changing political be- beliefs says very similar things. It says first, if you want to change someone's political beliefs, you ha- you have to dis- disassociate the individual belief from their feelings of self worth. So you have to kind of assuage yes. the feelings of self because if you're challenging one particular belief and they think as a result you're calling them an idiot. And unfortunately, the level of political debate we've seen recently has largely gone to the degree of calling people idiots for the beliefs they hold. Um, that's that, that's going to backfire. And secondly, um, the other key thing is the use of stories. Exactly as you were you were you, you demonstrating by talking about the story of Joanne, if you use stories to illustrate your point, people tend to lower their their defences and start listening first before arguing. 
and then the kind of then the point has got across and they kind of through a story people discover things for themselves they feel smart when they hear a story and they figure out the conclusion as opposed to you telling them the conclusion and them feeling a bit dumb because they didn't they didn't know it themselves i i i'm just shaking my head because i don't know what to say other than i i yes <laughs> you absolutely <laughs> nailed it and said it better than i could ian that's exactly right that's all right that was i i i, I, I i'm feeling really bad now because i forgot the name of researchers who did all that stuff but i thought it was some wonderful research into, <laughs> but they were really into politics but they were really smart <laughs> and now it's mine <laughs> no i shall yeah. under this podcast i shall i shall put a link to some of their papers it's called the backfire effect if anyone wants to look look it up um and of course it as, as we've just seen it applies just as much in sales and and other things as it does in, in political beliefs right brent th- that's been really fantastic we, we are out of time but i just want to thank you um always course, great funny f- thank you so much for the invite final question where do people go to get find out more about commercial insight and challenger in general uh if, if they can if they can go to uh the challenger sale.com it's probably the best way this easiest way to get there I'm also out there on LinkedIn, uh, and if anyone wants to reach out to me directly over LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, I'm Brent uh, at Brent Adamson on Twitter, uh, and I'm more than happy to respond directly. Uh, again, on the website, you can find us at uh, at thechallengersale.com is uh, all of our book uh, material there. Or you can go out and buy a book on audio or on book version, or look us up at CEB. Uh, we're excited to work with uh, just about anybody. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much, Brent. Very much appreciated, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Cheers. So much, Ian. Cheers.